The following message was recorded live at Three Strands Church. We hope it will bless you, encourage you, and challenge you in your journey of faith. We'd love to pray for you or answer any questions you have. You can message us at threestrands.church slash contact. If you haven't been here for the last couple weeks, we're in this series. It's going to end next week. Um, but we are going through our church mission statement. I'm trying my best to show you guys why this is our church mission statement, where it comes from in God's Word, why uh, many years ago now we kind of decided to make everything we do revolve around these concepts, uh, why we think they're important from God's Word. And uh, so here's our mission statement again. I've been giving it to you every week, creating a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. Back in week one, we talked about what a culture of redemption is, how we try to create that, what we're shooting for. And we expect redemption to happen. Culture of redemption is a place where redemption is the norm. We expect Jesus to save people. We're passionate about it. And that's one of the reasons why we get to see it happen. And uh, if you were here last week, we talked about the second piece of this mission statement, uh, what it looks like to have the freedom to experience the real God or the real Jesus. And so we went through what is real freedom in Christ and, and how do you get freedom and how do you give that freedom to other people and uh, I'm super excited to say, I didn't ask anybody's permission to say this, I'm not going to say any names, but I'm super excited to say that two college guys decided to follow Jesus with their whole life on, Friday, on Wednesday night. And I was like, that's, that's super cool, that's super cool, but like, I expect it to happen. And uh, it's like, it's like um, for one of those guys, one of the other guys in the group was like, it's about time. That's right, it's about time. Like, I'm ready for people to follow Jesus, I'm ready for him to set people free and save them. I'm ready to see even more of it. Today we're talking about the third piece of that statement, truth and grace. Truth and grace, grace and truth. And, um, and then we'll wrap up the whole series next week. And so um, I want to just say kind of before we get going on this, um, this topic today that I believe that this topic we're going to talk about today, this piece of our mission as a church is single-handedly responsible for why most people who leave our church leave, Okay. And that's okay. I need everybody that's part of our church family to understand that if people leave our church because we are committed to the mission of Jesus, that's okay. Let them go. Shake the dust off the bottom of your sandals. I know most of you aren't wearing sandals. My wife wears sandals, even in the winter. Be like rain, freezing rain, eight degrees. She'll be like wearing sandals. Like, what's up with that? But um, so just so you know, like, I need all the same truth and grace you guys need. I'm not better than you. I might be worse than most of you, I'm not sure, but like, um, I've had some moments this week for sure. You know, Opie said, like, he was thinking this week, like, I'm not even going to advance. Well, I'm lead, like, most of the advance, and this week, I was like, I'm not going either. Like, I felt like a couple of times, like, I'm not even going either, you know, and uh, so we drove our kids to West Virginia this week to drop them off at Grandma and Grandpa's house, right, and so um, we were on our way there, and, and I was, like, super behind the eight ball this week. I had so much to do. And it was just like mounting. I was like, I'm just not going to get it all done. I'm not, I'm not going to be ready for advance. I'm not going to be ready to preach on Sunday morning. And so um, I don't usually do this, but I said to Stephanie, I was like, would you drive? <laughs> That's a, just for some of you fellows out there. I'm going to call that mistake one, okay? But uh, I was like, Stephanie, can you drive? Because then I could have like six hours, like a six-hour trip each way. And so I was like, I could have like six hours each way in the car to study and prep and like type stuff out and get ready, you know? And so that was the plan. So we picked the kids up from school, and Stephanie and Sydney sat in the front seat, 
And Logan and I sat in the back seat because we had our dog. He likes to sit in the front seat. So there was a little bit more room in the back seat. So I sat in the back seat so I could spread some papers out and have my laptop out and stuff like that. And we start driving. We head out. We're through Somerset. And everything is good until I start to feel sick. Now, I don't get like car sick, plane sick. I don't, I don't experience that at all. And I, I was like, my head was starting to hurt. I was getting a little dizzy. And I looked up and we were on the literal, I don't know if you've ever been here, we were on the literal highway to hell. Like we were on, I don't know where it was, somewhere in Kentucky. I didn't know it was in Kentucky, but wherever we were, it was like the highway to hell. It was like, you guys remember like before they did the new 92, what the old 92 was really like the whole way over to Williamsburg? It was like that times seven. You know, it's like I expected to end up at like the top of a mountain to see like Whoville or something. It was like so windy. And so like I thought I was going to throw up. And you'd think like, oh, that's not a big deal. You don't need truth and grace for that. I'm like, no, just, just like hang with me for a second. Because that me part inside of me was like, I'm going to let her know what she's doing wrong. Right? That's, we're going to call that mistake number two, guys. Okay? So just hang with me on this for a second. And so I was like, I'm going to tell her what she's doing wrong. And I look up. And then I realize when I look up, like, I don't even know where we are. And I'm like, we've driven this route. Like, I don't even know, a hundred times since we moved to Kentucky, you know, like back and forth to grandma's house and kind of like, we know this route. I'm like, I don't, nothing looks familiar. If you drop me off on the side of the road, I just have to curl up and die. I wouldn't know where to go. There's no cell signal. And then all of a sudden I hear from the front, Stephanie's phone starts saying, uh, what, what was the, what does it say? Yeah, proceed to the route, proceed to the route. Like you're off course, like you're in a field somewhere, get back on the road. You know what I mean? I'm like, this is not good. So I was like, do you know where we are? I said, she's like, no. Like, that's not good, you know? I don't know where we were. We were on some background shortcut that she thought was gonna magically transport us from 27 to 75. It, it wasn't, okay? And Siri was like cussing her out and it was like, it wasn't good. I was so sick. And, and this is where like, I wanna just get honest, be honest and real with our church. We're like, I was so sick because if I wasn't a Christian, this is what would have happened. But it took every bit of the Holy Spirit inside of me to make this not happen. Because there was a moment, there was a moment, it was a fleeting moment. All right, I'm not a total jerk, I'm just a little bit of a jerk. But there was this fleeting moment where I just thought to myself, like, I want to ask her to let me out. And just go to that person, like some stranger's house and be like, can you get me home? Like, I was so sick of being in the car. Like, I thought I was going to throw up. And I was like, just pull over. We pulled it. We finally come to like something that looked like civilization. It really wasn't civilization, but it was like a school. But in Kentucky, schools can be anywhere. So it was like in the middle of like cornfields and cows and stuff like that. It was like a school. And we pull off into the parking lot. I get out. People are looking at us. I'm like, give me a second, you know, trying to suck oxygen in. You know, she walks the dog a little bit. And, and I was like, you know what? I'll drive. I said, <laughs> it's like, I'll go ahead and drive, you know. And so I drove the rest of the way. But it was like, it was that moment where I thought to myself, I need a little bit of grace because I feel like telling her everything she's doing wrong and I feel like abandoning the family, if I'm being honest right now. It's like, so everybody needs a little bit of truth and grace. I'm going to hope I can give you some of that today. But I think that you will walk away today with a better understanding of why so many people leave our church. And I think it's a lot of people. I think more people um, than a lot of other churches walk out of the doors of our church. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Uh, if it's for these reasons. And uh, I think a lot of people come through the doors of our church, and that's a cool thing, you know, but a lot of people end up leaving. I was looking around today. I think um, somebody said there was like about 130 people here today. This same week last year, there was about 80 people at church. So that's kind of a cool thing too. You know, I was looking at that this week. But um, 
Um, but this is kind of single-handedly responsible for a lot of the exits from our church. And so I'm going to do my best job to explain why truth and grace matters, why we need both of them, what they're all about. Um, and so uh, really what we're talking about today is what it is to be a real Christian, I guess. Kind of what it is to be a real Christian. So let's just first start with that word, Christian. That's a word that started getting used in the book of Acts. Wasn't used when Jesus was walking around. Nobody called Jesus a Christian. Nobody called anybody with him a Christian. But later on, the church got started in the book of Acts, and they started calling these Jesus followers Christians. And originally, it was like a derogatory term. It was like they were making fun of them. And, and, and literally, the word, the word means you're following the Christ. You're a Christ follower, a Christian. Uh, and some people would almost think it was like, you're like a little imitation of the real thing. You're like a little imitation of Christ. And so they were calling these people Christians as if to say like, oh, I know what you are. You're like one of those Christ followers, you know, the guy that died and nobody even knows. You're following him. It was like a derogatory term. And by like the second century AD, Christians had kind of owned it and were like thankful to be called Christian. They took it as honor, like a badge of honor to be called a Christian. But it literally means that I'm one who is following Christ. I'm a Christ follower. And um, so I asked um, Daniel if he'd help me out. So can you come up here for a second? This is Daniel Loudermook, everybody. Give him a round. Yeah, yeah. Make, make him feel welcome. Make him feel welcome. Okay. So he's going to help me out. He's going to help you. Sh- he's going to show you what a Christ follower. Now, I had to decide which one of the two of us was going to be Jesus. And, you know, like, so, okay. So I'm not saying I'm like super holy, but I'm just like, you know. It had to be me, is what I'm saying. So, okay, so, so I'm going to be Jesus in this illustration this time, and you're going to be the Christian, the Christ follower, the little Jesus, the imitation of the real thing, right? The, the kind of follower of Jesus, okay? So this is what that looks like. So you stay there a second, right? And so it's like you see Jesus, right? Stay there. No, no, stay there. That's a, you're already failing. Don't, okay. You, you see Jesus, and, and it's almost like a game of Simon Says. And so whatever Jesus says to do, you do, right? And so if Jesus is like, hey, Jesus says, raise your hand. You're like, you raise your hand. Jesus says, jump up and down. I can't do that very long. I'll hurt myself. But like Jesus says, like, clap your hands, right? You do whatever Jesus says to do. You're imitating Jesus, right? And then Jesus starts to move. And so you follow him. So like as Jesus takes a step, yeah, you take a step. That's good. Yeah, you're doing good. You're doing good. Right? So every time Jesus moves, you move, and you just do whatever he's doing. And you're like, well, how do I even know what it is Jesus does? It's all written down for you. Four people decided to write down Jesus' life. You doing that? Yeah. yeah. That? That's rock the baby. That's rock the baby. That's throw the baby out the moving car window. Yeah, I don't know. You shouldn't do that, though. But uh, okay, stay there a second. So you're following Jesus, right? And that, that kind of all makes sense to us. In the church setting, we're like, oh, I get that. I'm supposed to do what Jesus did and say what Jesus said. I'm supposed to be an imitator of Jesus. I'm supposed to follow him with my life, right? Now, a lot of confusion comes into American church culture today because people go to church and they watch the show and they listen to the things Jesus says to do, but then they go out the doors and they're like, but I can do whatever I want to do and still call myself a Christian. Well, that's not actually a follower of Christ. That's a follower of yourself. So you just have to kind of be clear on what you're defining those terms as and how you're actually living your life, not just what you're saying, but what you're actually living out, right? And so there's this concept of you're kind of following Jesus, right? But the problem is 
that when you come into church and you say to somebody, and we do this all the time, Stephanie and I were talking about this week, it's like we throw platitudes at people, bumper stickers, and we're like, ah, oh, God is good. God is just good. And somebody's like, I don't even know who God is. You're like, God is good. What are you talking about? Like, not good to me. My life stinks right now, they're thinking, you know? Or you're like, hey, you really need to be saved. And they're like, saved? I'm not even in water. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, saved from what? I'm not choking. What are you talking about? I need to be saved. And we don't even know how to share our faith with people. So we just dump a bunch of Christian cliches on them right? Or gospel track bomb them. You know what I mean? Like in the old days, you'd take like a gospel track, go to somebody's door, open the storm door, throw the gospel track in and run away and hope they became a Christian by reading it. You know what I mean? We don't even know how to share our faith. So we just tell people like, hey, follow Jesus. And they're like, I don't even know what that means, dude. Be like Jesus. I don't even know who Jesus is. Right? Can you put this on? Okay. And then just stay where you're at, okay? Nobody pick on Daniel with that, okay? Because the Bible describes people who don't believe in Jesus, people who don't know what it means to be a Christ follower as blindfolded. And so somebody comes into your church and they're like, hey man, I got all kinds of problems in my life. I'm looking for some answers. And, and, then, and then we set them down, give them breakfast, talk to them real nice, give them a gift for coming here for the first time. And then we're like, hey, follow Jesus. Go ahead, Daniel. Go ahead and follow me. And then they don't because they don't know where you're at. They can't even see you. And then you go home and you tell your spouse, you're like, that guy doesn't even love Jesus. I told him the truth. He wouldn't even do it. He won't follow him. Go on, Daniel, follow Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and do what I'm doing right now? Just do it. Just do it. I mean, you know, I don't understand what's wrong with people in their head. They just won't do it. They won't do it Jesus' way. But they can't. They can't even see him to know what they're supposed to do. Can you stay there for a second, Daniel? Don't move. You'll run into something, so especially me. But I want to show you this exact idea. Because when you decide to finally follow Jesus, when you ask Jesus to save you and stop trusting in yourself for your life and your eternity, the Bible says that blindfold comes off. Okay? Let me read it to you. Second Corinthians, stay there. You're doing good. Everybody's getting more out of the sermon because you're there, so stay there. Second Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 16. But whoever, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil, that's a good word for blindfold, right? The veil is taken away. For the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's all we talked about last Sunday, right? That's what Jesus does for you. When you ask him to save you, and you voluntarily surrender your life to him, he sets you free. Free from sin, free from the law, free to serve others, free to save others. He sets you free, right? So all of us who have had the veil removed right, can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So kind of let me give you the first piece of grace and truth today. You ready? It's our job, if we have had the blindfold taken off, to reflect God's glory to the rest of the world around us. 
Once the blindfold is removed, I am somehow able to see God. I know you might be sitting there thinking like, I can't see God. I don't know what you're talking about. Stay with me for a second. Just trust me on this point until we prove it, okay? But, but somehow I'm now able to see God and my job is to reflect to the rest of the world his glory, what he looks like. And somehow, day after day, he is transforming me more and more to be like him. And the more and more I become like him, the more and more I look like him to everybody else. You with me? That's our duty. If you've had the veil removed, the blindfold taken off, you are to reflect God's glory to the rest of the world. But how do I reflect God's glory to somebody who's blind? That's a good question for us today. You with me? That's a good question. Because if you don't know the answer to that, you're just going to keep screaming at them, why won't you follow Jesus? I mean, I love you. I've been praying for you. Why don't you follow the Lord? You're my kid. Why don't you obey Jesus? You know what it's like? And it's like, they're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even know how to do that. Are you still awake? Yeah. I'm okay. Still awake. And so you're like, well, how? No, you can't leave. You have to stay no, right there. Oh, yeah. You can, you maybe. Maybe. Yeah. We'll see how good you do the rest of the time. And so it's like, I'm supposed to reflect God's glory, let other people see him and how to take the veil, but they're blind. So how do I do that? Now, here's another passage that kind of shows you this idea that everybody who's not believing in Jesus is blind. And then I'm going to dive into kind of like our responsibility to those people. You ready? Second Corinthians is the very next chapter. Second Corinthians chapter four, starting in verse four. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We're not trying to make converts to Three Strands Church or followers of David or baptizing people in the name of Brad, praise God, right? <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not preaching about ourselves. No, we go around preaching that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are servants to all of you for Jesus' sake. Now, let's get into the rest of this paragraph. Look at verse 6. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God. There's that concept again. I, I somehow know the glory of God and I'm going to reflect it to the rest of the world. That is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. That's a good line to underline, a good phrase to underline if you're a note taker or underline that we are going to know the glory of God that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. Verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars. We're not strong. We're not mighty. We're not doing something better than anybody else out there. We just happen to be these fragile little clay jars that have God's light inside of them. And that light is shining out from the inside of us. It's us reflecting the glory of God to the rest of the world. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Okay? This is the same concept over again. You get it? Everybody's blind. 
and the people who have had the veil removed get the glory of God. They get to see it. They get to know it and understand it. They get it implanted inside of them and it shines out of them like a light. And we are supposed to show it to everybody else around us. We're supposed to reflect it. Now, how, here, here we go again. How do I do that? That's the real question, right? How do I do that to people who can't even see me? Who people that look at me and they think like, you're crazy, dude. Why would I ever give that up? Why would I ever do that with my money? Why would I ever spend my time there? Why would I ever read that? None of that makes sense. I got a life to live, blind to all of it. And I can be like, oh, you don't understand. You don't understand. God is so good. God is so good. Just follow him. And they're like, I don't even, that's for you. That's for you, not me. That's for you, not me. So how do I let them see it? Now, let me show you. I'm going to show you because this is where this piece of our mission statement comes from. John chapter 1, verse 14. One of, if not the most important verses in the whole Bible. We're talking about Jesus. I'm not going to read you the whole chapter, but all of John chapter 1 is a great description of what Jesus has done for all of us and what he offers us and what we get if we finally trust him with our whole life, okay? I'm just going to read you a few verses from the chapter. John chapter 1, verse 14. This is how we're going to do it. You ready? Verse 14. So the word, now that's Jesus. You're going to see it in a couple verses. The word is a, a, a picture or an analogy of Jesus. That in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. All that stuff. That's the beginning of John chapter 1. And now we're down here in verse 14. So the word, or Jesus, became human and made his home among us. That's when Jesus came to earth, right? You with me? Now look how it describes him. He was full of grace and truth. And then listen to the last line of this verse. And we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. You get it? Okay. I have seen Jesus' glory because he came to earth and lived it out. You're like, I didn't live with Jesus. I never went and ate, hung out with him. We didn't go to restaurants and talk. Right. So it's got written down for us. So you got excellent handwritten accounts of what Jesus did. And what he did was live a life full of grace and truth. That's what he did. That's, that's the glory that this verse describes. Look at it again, right? We, he made his home among us. He was full of grace and truth. We've seen this in him. We've seen grace and truth in him. We've seen his glory. The glory of who? Not just some random prophet. Not just a really good guy. The glory of the Father's one and only Son. Now let me keep reading this to you, right? Verse 16. From his, who's his? Jesus, right? From Jesus' abundance, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. Some translations there will say we've received grace upon grace. We've received grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. The blessings are endless from Jesus. We've received one glorious blessing after another from Jesus. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. All right? You with me on this? So this, this is a little confusing. This verse 17, it confused me a lot of my life, right? Because I look at that and think, like, I don't understand. The law was given through Moses, but then over here, grace and truth came through Jesus. But isn't the law the truth? Isn't that the same thing? 
You're like, oh, this is God's law. You ever been in church? Hear anybody say that? Just obeying the law of God. And I'm, I'm, I'm following the truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Isn't this God's law and God's truth? So if the law came through Moses, how does the truth come through Jesus? I'm going to explain it to you right now, okay? The law is not the truth. It's rules. Some are okay. Some are bad. People can make up good rules or bad rules. All of God's rules are good rules. But, but here's the difference, and, and Jesus is going to show it to us. I'm going to show you this example in just a second. We talked about one last week in church, right, where Jesus is walking into the temple, and he comes across this guy with a crippled hand, and, and, and he's going to heal the guy's hand. But all the religious elites, man, I can't stand religious elites. They're standing there watching him, and he knows they're thinking, oh, let's watch. If he heals this guy on the Sabbath, if he breaks the law, to heal this guy, we'll have something we can use against him in court for breaking the law. And Jesus says to them, What's, what, what are you supposed to do on the Sabbath day? Are you supposed to do good things? Or is it a day for doing evil? Like he, he kind of turns the tables on him, right? And he heals the guy's hand, and they instantly go out, try to get him with it. Try to get him with it. It was like Jesus was saying, like, I know what the law says. But there's something greater than the law. It's the truth of the situation. And some translations translate that word truth, righteousness. It, it's, it's that there's a, a time when the right thing to do is different than the law. You with me? If my wife is in labor and the speed limit is 55, that is the law. But righteousness demands that I hustle my backside to the hospital, right? There's a time... When the law is good, but the truth is better. I, I remember, uh, are you okay with standing up here this whole sermon? Is that okay? Oh, I'm fine. All right. Is that, he's got his knees locked. He'll start wavering, you know. But uh, so I, I remember this time when I was a youth pastor, and um, I had just been at this church just a very short time. And um, it was like 15 minutes before church was supposed to start on a Sunday evening. And uh, Sunday evening church, Emmanuel, that's what other churches, like, they do that. So it's like a thing. But, like, I was going to preach. I was preaching that night at church, right? And so um, it was, like, 15 minutes before church um, was going to start. And I got a call from a teen at our church. And they were like, hey, man, I really want to come to church, but I don't have a ride. Can you come get me? And I said, I can't, but I'll send somebody to come get you. And I walked out into the lobby, and there was a married couple there who was, um, like one of, some of the door greeters at the church. And I said, hey, I got this teen that wants to come to church, but no way to get here. Would you guys be able to go get him real quick? And they looked at each other like deer in headlights. And then the guy looks at me and he goes, and he goes, well, we don't really want to miss the beginning of the church service. And I'm like, yeah, going to church, super good. I would even call it a law. I would be like, God wants you in church. But there comes a time where it's okay to say there's something more important than the law. And if I'm just here to obey the rules, and it's never about like the truth, the righteousness, the, the, the laws applied to my life. And that's what Jesus brought. He was like, I know you got all your rules, but man, righteousness dictates that you would do something better than the rules. That you would love, speak the truth, Right? Just a couple of examples of that. Now, here's an example from this week I'm going to show you. You can actually take the blindfold off and go sit down. I was just messing with you for the last 10 minutes, but... Oh, 
Yeah. If I need you again, I'll let you know, though. Yeah, keep it, keep it. But, but don't flankade with it while you're sitting there. All right, and so let me give you one more example of this today. It's in John chapter 8. I won't read you the whole story. I'm just going to read you a couple of verses for it, but let me give you the backstory before I read the story to you. I've used this story many times in our church. It's one of my favorite examples in the whole Bible, this concept of grace and truth working together, which is hard to do, just for the record. It's hard to do. So, so there's this um, scene where Jesus is at the temple preaching. There's a bunch of people there listening to him preach, and uh, um, in walk the, guess who? The religious elites again. The people who think they know everything, right? The religious leaders. They walk in and totally interrupt the church service. It, it would be like if a, a bunch of pastors or priests or whatever, or political officials, if they all just walked in our church right now, just didn't care what we were doing, just interrupted the whole thing. They go in, they interrupt the whole thing. Jesus stops teaching. And with them, they're dragging this woman. They toss her in front of the whole crowd. And they say to Jesus, this woman was caught committing adultery. The law says we're supposed to stone her to death. But what do you say? And again, they're hoping Jesus will give them something they can use against them with the Roman officials. They can use against them to have them put in prison or executed, right? And, and so uh, I love what happens in this text. Jesus, it says, stoops down and starts to like write in the dirt with his hand. I don't know what he was writing. He's just doodling. He was like, I heart everybody but the Pharisees. I don't know what he was doing. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know what he was, but he was drawn in the dirt with his finger, right? Almost like he's ignoring them. I thought about that this week, and I thought, like, what is Jesus doing there? There's no way Jesus is like, what am I going to say? Like, what am I, I don't know what to say to these guys. Like, he's Jesus. Like, he knows the answer, right? So he's not searching for an answer. So what's he get down and ignore them and doodle in the sand for? Like, I couldn't quite figure it out. And the, and the text doesn't say, this is just a guess. You don't have to believe this. This is my guess. But like, I think, <laughs> I think he was feeling a little bit like me this week, okay? Uh, and, and what I was feeling this week was like, you guys ever see Inside Out? You know the dude who like blows the fire stack into the, yeah. I think he was feeling like that. He was like, I'm so frustrated these idiots. All they want to do is catch me doing the wrong thing. All they want to do is the opposite of what they're supposed to be doing. They're just jerks. I think he was almost like gathering himself from his frustration. Maybe not. Maybe not. I mean, that's what I would be doing. I'd be like, here we go again. How many times do we have to go through this same routine? And, uh, but it says they keep pressing him for an answer. They insist. Like, hey, how about it, Jesus? What do you think we should do? Hello, McFly, can you hear? And so it says, finally, Jesus stands up and, and he says to them, Okay, let's kill her. But whoever is the one here without sin, you go ahead and throw the first stone at her. And then it says he immediately stoops back down, starts to doodle in the sand again, right? And uh, they all slowly start to walk away until everybody is gone except for this woman and Jesus. And he stands back up again. And in verse 10 of John chapter 8, this is what he says. Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And in verse 11, she says, no, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I. Neither do I. That's grace. Neither do I. Go and sin no more. That's truth. You get it? That's grace and truth. 
Jesus shows it to us in this one picture. How do you be 100% full of grace and 100% full of truth? He could have said, I don't condemn you either. Go keep doing what you want to do. That's 100% grace. He could have said, you know what? She should be killed. She broke the law. I know you're thinking, like, where's the dude that she slept with? Why isn't he getting stoned? Well, because they're sexist. Just going to call it like it is. 2,000 years ago in Israel, they were all sexist. It just was like nothing sets women free like Christianity, and these guys weren't Christians. They were jerks. Most of the world still like that, treating women like garbage. So she was guilty, but somehow he wasn't. And he could have said, like, yeah, you know what? That's the law. She should be killed. It is right. Let's kill her. But somehow he managed to find a way to give 100% grace and 100% truth. And 50% grace and 50% truth isn't enough. That isn't what Jesus did. He was full of grace and truth. Right? And so grace says that I will love you with my actions, even if you're super sinful. Even if you disgust me. Even if I disagree with you, even if you hate me, even if you're bad-mouthing me on social media, even if you're different than me, even if you hurt me, even if fill in the blank with anything, grace is, I will love you no matter what. You can't make me unlove you. Grace, the literal definition of grace is actually unearned, unmerited favor and kindness. It's when somebody doesn't deserve me to treat them nicely. When somebody doesn't deserve my kindness, I treat them kindly then. It's okay to come to church and treat the people here you like a lot nicely. That's okay. It's just not grace. Grace is when somebody treats you like garbage and you still treat them nicely. It's when you give them kindness and favor that they haven't earned and they don't deserve. That's grace. That's what Jesus does for us. That's what Jesus showed us. Well, we were still dirty, rotten sinners. Well, we were the enemies of God. He saw all of that and said, I will give my whole life for that person. That's grace. Fill in the blank with anything. And if there's something you can't put in the blank, then you don't have 100% grace. Truth is, I'm going to tell you what God says. I'm going to tell you what God says, even if you're going to disagree with me. Even if you don't like me, even if you're going to hate me for that, even if it's going to cost me our relationship, even if you're going to twist everything I say and turn me into your enemy, even if blank, fill it in with whatever. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to tell you exactly what God says. And what makes this so hard is when I have to combine both of them. Because, see, there are a lot of people that I want to give grace to. There are a lot of people that hurt my feelings or offend me. I'm like, man, I love them. I, I forgive you. I give you grace. I get... There are a lot of people like that. But most of those people are people that I'm a little worried about giving the truth to. Because those people I love that much, they're the ones I think, if I give them the truth, it might cost our relationship. So I worry about it. And, hey, there are a lot of people I'd love to give a piece of my mind to. Just give them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. A lot of people like that. But I don't want to give them grace. Because usually those people that I want to like tell off, they usually just cut me off in traffic. I don't even know their name. Right? They're usually people that have treated me so poorly, I don't want to love them or have a relationship with them. So I can tell them the truth because I don't really care if it costs the relationship. So I have no problem giving some people truth. But I don't want to love on those people. 
Those are the people I don't want to be kind to. So the, the thing that makes it so hard is when I have to put both of them together at the same time. That's what makes it so difficult. You're like, well, how do I know who needs more grace and who needs more truth? I'm going to give you a tip today. You ready? Here's, here's a good tip. When you feel angry, you probably need to show more grace. Okay? When you feel worried, you probably need to give more truth. Let me explain, okay? When there's somebody I'm ticked at, I probably need to like, you know, count to 10, take a chill pill, ask the Lord for help, slow my roll, right? Be slow to speak and, and just show them a little bit more kindness. Usually. Not all the time, but usually, right? And, and when I feel worried, like, oh no, if I tell them this, they're going to hate me. If I tell them this, they're going to move out. If I tell them this, they're not going to be my friend anymore. If I tell them this, they're going to stop dating me. If I tell them this, I know it's the truth, but man, I'm just going to say nothing and keep the status quo. I'm a little worried. It might cost us something. When you feel that kind of worry, you probably need to give a little bit more truth than you're given. Does that help? Practical help? A little practical help on that? But it's hard. Because I don't want to alienate all the people I love, and I don't want to love all the people that annoy me. You see what I'm saying? What's hard is when i got to do both to everybody. That's what makes it so hard. That's what makes reflecting what Jesus was hard. Now listen, stay with me for a second. So here's how this process is supposed to work. I was going to draw this out, but I tried to draw it. It looked really shady, so I'm just going to, you have to use your mind's eye instead, right? So up here is God's glory, God's greatness. Everything about God that's wonderful. And down here is me and all my other cohorts. And I'm supposed to show all of them what that looks like, but they can't see it because they're blind, right? But God's, what God's word says is, the way I show it to them is this. You ready? Jesus came to earth to explain to me by the way he lived what God's glory looked like. And he says to me, you do and say all the exact same things. You won't get any credit for it because it won't be your message. It'll be my message. It won't be you preaching about you. It'll be preaching about me. It won't be you being so good. It'll just be you following the leader. And when you follow me, the glory I'm reflecting from the Father, when you reflect that glory in your life, people's blindfold will come off. And that glory the Bible said, if you remember now from what we read, was being full of grace and truth. That's it. That's the only way blind people will ever see God's glory. If I reflect 100% grace and 100% truth to them. That's it. That's the mission. And anything short of 100% of both is not the real gospel. And I need you to know, as the pastor of our church, like, we fight harder for this than anything else we have to fight for. Because all those same things I just shared about your life are true of my life too. And when somebody in our church is doing all the wrong things, I don't want to confront them about it. I don't want to tell them the truth. Because they're my friend. I love them. I'm worried it's going to cost me the relationship and they're going to walk out the door. Right? And, and uh, uh, it's hard. It's hard to give 100% of grace to everybody that walks through the door. Here's why. If I can be real honest about it for a second, here's why. You ready? Because some people who come through the door are thought of 
as so dirty by the rest of the community. Not, not by me, not, not necessarily by anybody that loves this church and knows what we're all about, but they're thought of as so broken, so scarred, so, so socially awkward, so disgusting, so, so sinful. They're into some stuff that for some reason in Christian culture has become worse sin than other sin. So when they come through the doors, it's our job to make them feel bad about it. It's our job to tell them how messed up they are and make them feel super guilty while they sit here. And so it's hard to show grace to those people, not because I don't want to, because I actually believe I'm dirtier than them, right? But because I know that that grace to those people is going to tick other people off in our church. And guess where they're going to go? Right there. You with me? I think most of the people that have left our church, some people move away, some people, you know, whatever, have other circumstances, but most of the people who have left our church have left for one of these two reasons. We've either told them the truth about their sin, and they don't like that, or we've given grace to somebody else's sin, and they don't like that. And it's exactly why a couple years back, right before COVID or right after COVID hit, I got hit in the same week with a like, I'm not going to that church because they love gay people. And the very same week, I got hit with, I'm not going to that church because they hate gay people. Well, how can we hate them and love them at the same time? This is how. Because when they come through the doors of our church, we give them 100% grace and 100% truth at the same time. And the people who think they're better than them don't like it that we give them grace. And when we tell them that their sin is not okay, they don't like it. And so at the exact same moment, Somebody can be ticked off at you for the exact opposite thing. And they walk out the doors of our church. This happens over and over and over again. I don't know if there's anything that Kenny and I talk on the phone more than this. Maybe our wives. We talk on the phone a lot about our wives too, especially when they drive us places. But um, I don't know if there's anything we talk about more than this. Like, man, what do you think? We need to say something to this person. I hate it. I hate it. I know if I say something to him, they're going to leave. I know it, Kenny. And then, and then inevitably in that conversation, one of us will be like, but what's the alternative? Because the alternative isn't the gospel. Man, we're going to love that person. Can they help? Can they plug in? Can they be part of the community? Can they be here before they actually belong to the family? Is that okay? Like, what's the alternative? And you got two alternatives. If you only show 100% truth or 100% grace, on one side, you end up with this clique of religious people who think they're better than everyone. And on the other side, you end up with this conglomeration of people that do whatever they feel like doing and think they're still Christians. The only real answer is the actual gospel where you tell people the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, but you give them kindness and love no matter how screwed up they are. That's the grace and truth we're talking about in our mission statement. And we fight for it all the time. You can't give one without the other because grace without truth is deception. Isn't it? I know somebody's doing something that's going to wreck their life. I know somebody's doing something that's going to uh, totally send their life down the opposite direction that God wants it to go. And I just love on them and act like it's no big deal. And be like, way to go on all that sin. You're the man. It's grace. But it's deception because there's no truth. And truth without grace is condemnation. You've all heard those stories or been in those churches. You come in like, ah, oh, there you are. I know about your sin. 
get up here so we can tell everybody about your sin, visitor. Like, yeah, you're giving them the truth, but where's the kindness? Where's the grace? Well, when you take 100% grace and you mix it with 100% truth, what God says you get is revelation. You get people that can see through the blinder. They can see the real Jesus. Man, he loves me, but says I'm not okay exactly how I am. I need to change some stuff. He knows all how I'm screwed up, but he loves me anyhow. They're going to preach the whole counsel of God's word in this church. And, not, and here's the thing. This is the reason that most people leave our church. But it's also the reason that most people stay. You get it? And so it's okay. It's okay if they flood out by the masses. It's okay. As long as we keep giving people 100% grace and 100% truth. And all along the way, they're going to talk bad about us. And they're going to say mean things to us. And they're going to make us the enemy. And they're going to act like we hate them. They're not going to understand what we're doing. And we're just going to keep loving them, being kind to them. And we're going to keep speaking the whole counsel of God's word to them. We're going to keep speaking the truth. It's going to cost us relationships. It's going to cost us our own comfort. It's going to cost us a lot. And uh, I, I was talking with Stephanie this week, and she shared a quote with me from Dallas Willard. And uh, I just want to share it to you. He said, following, following Jesus will cost you, but not following Jesus will cost you more. It's going to cost us to follow Jesus and give people grace and truth. But the alternative is way worse. I don't want to be whatever the alternative is. I don't want to be this little clique of religious people who think everybody else is trash and they got it all figured out. And I don't want to be this club where people hang out and do whatever they feel like doing and still get to call themselves Christians. I want to be 100% grace and 100% truth all at the same time. There's a world around us that needs to hear about the real Jesus. No, no, no. There's a world around us that needs to see the real Jesus. And this is the only way they'll ever see him. And so we expect Jesus to redeem people. And we expect people to be set free. And the way we're going to do that is to help them experience the real grace and real truth that is reflected from God through Jesus down to us and we shine it out to the rest of the world. We don't get any credit for it. But I ask you guys this week, who in your life, who in your life needs to hear some of God's truth from you this week? that you've been too worried to share with them? Who in your life needs to feel some of God's grace from you this week that you've been holding back from them? That's the grace and truth. It's not the pastor's job. It's the Christian's job. It's the job of those who say, I'm following Christ. I'm just a little Christ. I just reflect him to the rest of the world. That's your mission. It's why it's our mission. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, this can be hard truth. This can be hard truth, God, because I don't want to lose relationships that I love. I don't want to confront people that I want to have relationship with the rest of my life. I don't want them to hate me and think of me as the enemy. I don't want to give all this grace to people who sicken me and disgust me, people who do things I don't agree with. I don't, I don't want to do that, God. 
It's hard. Father, would you help me and help all the people here who call three strands their home to keep our eyes, the eyes that you've given us without the blinder on, without the blindfold or the veil, would you help us this week to keep those eyes on the grace and truth of Jesus so we can see what you're really like and reflect that to the world around us. And God, I was gonna ask you, Lord, but I don't wanna ask. I just wanna expect it. I expect you to save more people this week. I'm gonna show them as much grace and truth as I can. Please, let us just see you keep saving them. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What an amazing challenge from God's word for all of us. We hope you start putting everything you've learned in this session into practice. Be sure to subscribe to the 3SC podcast so you'll never miss any new content. Thanks for listening.